Hi, this is Steve Morse from Deep Purple, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. What's up, everybody? This is Max Cavalera, Soulfly, Cavalera Conspiracy. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Ray Luzier from Corn, and you're checking out Iron City Rocks. Turn that up. Welcome to episode 159 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John. We are coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you some of the greatest rock, metal, and blues guests in the country. This week, we have for you drummer from Corn, also a Western Pennsylvania native, grew up uh, probably about 15 miles from where I am sitting doing this show, Ray Luzier of the band Corn. Uh, he's played with David Lee Roth, played with Jake E. Lee, of, uh, former Ozzy Osbourne guitarist. Uh, he's done a bunch of really cool stuff in his career, so um, he's kind of hit the pinnacle right now. He's playing with Korn, who were just at Stage AE earlier this week, so Sean caught up with them. Also, if you head to ironcityrocks.com, uh, we have a pretty cool uh, set of photos from the show, uh, including several of Ray himself. So we'll get to that interview in just a bit, but what we're going to start off with is an interview with a man named H.P. Newquist, uh, who is the curator of the National Guitar Museum. Uh, now, the National Guitar Museum uh, actually hasn't been built yet, but what they're doing, they're traveling the country uh, doing these kind of three-month stints in cities, and they have just moved into Pittsburgh's Carnegie Science Center on the North Shore, right in the shadows of Heinz Field, with an exhibit called Guitar, the Instrument That Rocked the World. So we're going to talk right now to HP about what you can expect when you head out to the Carnegie Science Center. I'd like to welcome to the show the curator of the Traveling Guitar Museum, H.P. Newquist. That'll be at the Carnegie Science Center. How are you doing, H.P.? Great. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Can you give us um, just a high level of what's going on at the Carnegie, uh, which opened on um, this past Saturday the 16th, and it's going the whole way till the end of September? Well, we've got our traveling exhibit, which is called Guitar, the Instrument that Rocks the World, uh, appearing at the Carnegie Science Center. Um, essentially, the the traveling exhibit is a is a uh, essentially the traveling exhibit is a foreshadowing of the museum that we're in the process of building, which will be the first permanent museum dedicated to the history of the guitar. Um, the guitar, you know, as you know, is the world's most popular instrument, mm-hmm. and yet there's no no general purpose museum dedicated to it. There are the teacup museums and barbed wire museums and ventriloquist dummy museums. Right. But, uh, you know, outside of like Martin's, uh, specific museum or Fender's specific museum, there's no museum that really looks at the whole world of guitar. And, uh, that's what we're doing with our museum. And we're beginning by showing big sections of that in places like the Carnegie Science Center. And how long, how long have you guys been at this, um, traveling exhibit? 
Well, the idea for the initial museum came about uh, the end of 2008, and, okay. you know, with the recession and everybody getting crunched by the economy, we decided not to build a permanent home right away, but instead decided to take a, a good chunk of the collection, about 70 guitars, and, um, and put it on the road. And, and in the process, we decided that, well, if we're going to be going to all these different cities, maybe we'll find some place it's better than the next place or the place mm-hmm. after it that uh, will serve as a, a good locale for a permanent guitar museum. So we've been on the road now uh, a full year. As a matter of fact, we okay. opened in June, June of last year, June of 2011, in Orlando. We went from there to Louisville and now in Pittsburgh. All right. So if we flood the place, is there any chance we'll be building the permanent facility in Western PA or is that still <laughs> I would have to say that no less than seven people came up to me on Saturday night at the opening saying, we need to discuss where this is going to go next because we want it to stay here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that that would be phenomenal. I know, I know, um, with the, with the mistake by the lake having the Hall of Fame, um, well, yeah, and, and, you know, Cleveland's a wonderful city, but, you know, right now, the only reason for people to go to Cleveland is mm-hmm. to go see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's not a place where there are lots of other things, especially in Pittsburgh, which I found over the course of the last week that you know, there's dozens of museums and dozens of things to do in all the, the sports arenas. And so there's, there's you know, an incredible amount of uh, interest in a wide variety of, of entertainment and performances mm-hmm. and events and... Uh, we, we have, I will quite honestly say we had a great time and enjoyed ourselves immensely in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm just envisioning if you look out across the river from the Science Center, the, the hillside, just seeing a giant Les Paul up there, kind of like the, <laughs> the holiday. Right, in, right under the Bayer sign. Yeah, and, and Pennsylvania, in all honesty to, the, to our friends out east in Pennsylvania, you know, you've got uh, Martin. Uh, you're not far, far from uh, Paul Reed Smith's facility, right, exactly. I, Ibanez. So there's, you know, lots of great. Uh, you know, a guitar tradition in Pennsylvania. So, what what can someone come to uh, to expect when they come in? I mean, obviously, you mentioned you have seventy guitars, and uh, there's a, the world's largest guitar. Can you talk a little bit about you know what what a visitor to the the exhibit will see? When people come to the exhibit, especially people interested specifically in the guitar, maybe because they're guitar players, we'll see pretty much an extended history of the instrument. I mean, the guitar itself, as we know it, the sixth string has been around since the late 1700s, but it evolved from instruments that actually date back 5,000 years. So we've commissioned um, versions of some of those older instruments to sort of show how the evolution occurred. So we have things like ouds and tambours and naiapides, which all came from either Northern Africa or the Middle East and, you know, sort of developed the strings and the tuning pegs and the necks and the, um, and the bowl shape of the body. So we've got, we've got those kind of instruments where people can see, you know, really the early genesis of stringed instruments. And then we bring it forward through offshoots of some of those kind of instruments. So you get everything from the sitar to the mandolin to the banjo. And then, uh, in, say, the late 1400s, start getting into the first instruments that 
took on the shape of the guitar as we know it, those kind of hourglass incurved sides, uh, with a vihuela, which we also commissioned because there's only 200, or excuse me, there's like two of those left in the world, okay. both of which are under lock and key in Europe. And you know, the problem with, with instruments made of wood and or gourds or animal skins is that over time they deteriorate and they go away. And uh, so we've had, those, we've had replicas made of many of those. And then by the time we get into the 1800s, we start having instruments that have still been preserved, like uh, we have a Martin 1835 parlor guitar, unloaned from Martin. Sure. And, then, and then start um, moving rather rapidly through kind of the genesis of, of the guitar into the modern era, the way we know it, um, through Martins and Gibsons, and then up into the mid-1900s with, uh, with the electric guitar. Okay. So are these um, are, are there guitars people can play, or are these uh, more of a you know just a view it, admire well, it all, sort of a thing? In the in the case of all of these particular instruments, because they have historical value, sure, most of those are are under glasses. Sure. For instance, we have we have a, a Rickenbacker A22 frying pan from 1934. They're, all of those are in private collections or kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, yet they were the very first mass-produced electric guitars. So just seeing one, um, it's a real, is, is at least to us, kind of a really cool thing because you know, they don't exist anymore. But we do have to protect them. And sure. there are certain things. We do have a lot of interactives um, where people can sort of touch screens and and playing, of course, everyone can play if they want the uh, the world's largest guitar, which is forty three and a half feet long. Is that the scaling forty three and a half, or is that the not? Or the... <laughs> no, from from top of head, it's a flying V. So from oh, top okay. of head back to the end of the V um, is forty three and a half feet long. Forty three and a half feet, and you're um, that's probably with drop D tuning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. because because you have to use aircraft cables in order oh. to achieve uh, wow. tension frequency with strings, we um we just want to make sure that it's tight enough not to uh, you know to snap and um and destroy anything in its path. So oh, yeah, we we get it to tension, and then uh, each of the individual strings can be played along the fret. Excellent. I yeah, I I was looking at the picture of the world's largest guitar and it's kinda of hard to tell from the little picture exactly what it was, but uh I didn't realize it was a stringed instrument. I thought it might have been something digital. Uh, that's, that's no, no, no. We can it was actually built uh, by a science academy in Houston, Texas. Okay. With the intention of of making it the world's largest guitar and getting the, the Guinness certification, which they did do, and uh ended up with an instrument that that is over forty three and a half feet long and weighs a ton and change. Wow. Now the um, the Munchkin matinee was was a part of the event that, that kind of caught my attention. What exactly is that? Can you say it again? You just cut out. For I'm sorry. Time. The Munchkin uh, matinee. Can you talk about what that is? That kind of caught my attention. God, I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. Um, I think if I would imagine there's. Carnegie has been very, very proactive in terms of scheduling uh, and during the course of the summer. And I know that they've got things that are going to appeal not only to kids, but to families, and also you know, just to adults who want to come and, and enjoy some music. So there's a variety of things from individual uh, local performers um, giving presentations, 
Okay. On to uh, on to very kid friendly kind of events. Okay. Now speaking of uh, local performers, you had one of our own there uh, Saturday to kind of kick off the event with Red Beach. Um, are there okay. going to is there going to be a lot of um, you know kind of performances and concerts and things to go along with the event? Well, I know that that as I said, Carnegie has got a number of people signed up to do performances and mini concerts. And okay. when we had Red Beach there, Red played for an hour, but he took questions from the audience, told some of the stories that he had about learning to uh, learning to play the guitar, but also kind of anecdotes from playing with everybody from White Snake to Bob Dylan. Yeah. And those are the kind of things that we hope people will come to all through the summer because it, it kind of inspires you to want to get further into the guitar, even if you're already a guitar player, you think, yeah, I need to spend more time with it. Or if you've never played, it's kind of like, you know, it's never too late to pick this up. Yeah, yeah I could come come watch Reb do that uh, vertical tapping of his. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And it was really, it was impressive. Yeah, he, he's a he's a great guy and a funny, funny storyteller. Uh, so it was a great way to kick off the event. Uh, yeah, it was very good. And he, and he stayed for half an hour and then people lined up to get autographs and photos and it was a really nice way to kind of open the uh, the exhibit in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So you guys are there until the end of September, correct? We're there until September 30th, yes. Okay. So I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and don't quote me on this, but I believe the the exhibit is included with your normal um, Carnegie Science Center admission. There's no an extra charge to get into this event. Correct. That is correct. Which is great. Um, and then where, where do you head from here? What's next on the, the tour? Uh, in October, we go to Richmond, Virginia. Virginia, okay. And then from uh, the beginning of next year, we go to Massachusetts, Springfield, Massachusetts. We go from there to Yellowstone National Park, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, take it out west. We're up there next summer. Okay. And um, from there to New Jersey and... Uh, I can't remember everything, but we're on the road at least booked for the next couple of years. Okay. Do you have any time frame on when a permanent uh, venue might be put together? I mean, not necessarily where, but, I mean, do you have it in your head that in, you know, 2017 so we, we want us to open the doors of the, the, the original plan was, was to look at 2016. And okay. because of the response from so many different cities to, that have asked us to come and, and – uh, you know, set up shop for three months. It could be a little bit longer than that, but since none of us are getting any younger, I don't want it to go too long and <laughs> yeah. and not be situated somewhere. But but you're right, probably closer now at this point to maybe twenty seventeen. We want to uh we want to start looking at architects and locations probably by then. Yeah. Okay, great. Right, Harvey, I want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, giving us all the information. Again, this is running until September 30th at the Carnegie Science Center. And um, we hope you all get out there to see it. Well, John, thanks. I appreciate it. And I uh, hope to see you in Pittsburgh. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. 
Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses. Make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S. Musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. The Vans Warped Tour 2012. Where music makes the world new. Starring The Used, All Time Low, Falling in Reverse, Breathe Carolina, Taking Back Sunday. July 12th, First Niagara Pavilion. Get all the info at VansWarpedTour.com. Tickets are on sale now at LiveNation.com. All Ticketmaster outlets or charge by phone. The Vans Warped Tour 2012. All right, a special thanks to HP Newquist and also the folks at the Carnegie Science Center for helping us out, uh, getting us all the information on what's going to be going on over there. And we uh, strongly encourage all of you to to make a showing if you're in western Pennsylvania. Or if you're not in western Pennsylvania, get in the car, bring the kids, bring the wife. Uh, discover the beautiful city of Pittsburgh. Come in. Uh, if you're a sports fan, uh, you are literally uh, within walking distance of the uh, PNC Park where the Pirates play. Uh, you're right next to Heinz Field. The NHL draft is this weekend uh, in Pittsburgh, so there's a zillion reasons to come to Pittsburgh, uh, and the Carnegie Science Center is certainly one of those. And a uh, chance to go and gawk at guitars all afternoon, uh, I have to admit, at least appeals to me. So I'm going to check that out. Now, speaking of uh, being on the North Shore of Pittsburgh, Stage AE, uh, as many of you are aware, the newest facility in town, hosted corn this past week. Uh, hard to believe corn has been at it now for 20 years uh you know it's kind of funny when you think of the term new metal um they were kind of the band everyone kind of slapped the new metal tag on their 20 years they've been doing that so uh sean caught up with ray luzier uh ray who's from west newton pennsylvania which is is about 30 40 miles south of the city of pittsburgh uh, depending on how you go uh, but certainly a hometown product uh, he's played with david lee ross played with jakey lee uh, and many other musicians uh, he talks about in the interview. So we're going to turn this over to Sean and uh, let him talk to you all about Ray Luzier of Corn. And I say welcome to the show. With me today, I got Ray Luzier from the band Corn, Pittsburgh native. Hi, Ray. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for coming on good the show. Be, good to be back in uh, homeland again. Yeah. This is. Uh, I'm from West Newton. Right. So it's about 45 minutes out, you know, Pittsburgh. So. It's awesome to be back in hometown. Cool. It's uh, exciting to play in front of the hometown crowd. Yeah. Got all my family, about 32 of them going tonight. <laughs> so it's going to be, better not mess up. Yeah, it's been a night for a show, too. It's, yeah. Um, outdoor venue. Um, how's the tour going? It's going real good. We're, um, this is, God, I don't even know. We started before the end of last year supporting Path of Totality, and um, it's doing great. We've been to Europe so far and um, all over the States, and then we're doing, you know, we finish up here um, beginning of July, and then we head to crazy places in august we were playing india for the first time oh, wow. which is really cool and from budapest to vienna to hitting all the festivals in europe and then uh, we just keep going sounds cool um the album uh path to totality has been out since december mm-hmm. um it was quite a departure from what corn's done in the past you know be, you know collaborating with scrollex and, and things like that how did a collaboration like that come uh John's been really, I mean, Corn's always had an element of hip-hop, yeah. you know, funk rap to it, you know, so to me it's just a little bit more extreme than it usually is, you know, everyone's like, wow, it's really left turn, and to me it's really not, you know, it's it's just, uh, 
another way to express a band, you know. So um, Jonathan's was really into the dubstep artist years ago, and yeah. he'd bring these when he discovered Sonny Skrillex, he would play the stuff through a PA system. It was amazing because it was just so huge sounding, and you can't make that sound off a guitar right, or, right. A, or a keyboard or you know just the way they do it. So. Um, and he was like, I'm going to write lyrics over to one of these. And that song was Get Up. That was our yeah. first single. So it just went from there. Like, we, we were going to make an EP. And then that dubstep world is a really small mm-hmm. circle. You know, they, Sonny will say, oh, you got to check out 12 Planet. 12 Planet, you have to check out Noisia. And they just keep doing all that. Next thing you know, you got a whole record. So yeah, I, I Actually, when I first read it, it kind of, to me, it felt like a natural progression. It kind of made sense, you know, yeah. for Korn to be doing something like that. But like you said, there's always been kind of like that kind of element there. To yeah, be and I'm kind of proud to be in a band that's not afraid to take chances and right. be creative. I mean, a lot of bands, like my favorite bands, ACDC, Iron Maiden, they, you know when you hear new ACDC record, it's going to sound like pretty much like the last one, only different songs, you know, which is, hey, it works for them and that's cool. But it's kind of cool to be in a band that challenges you, pushes you to different areas, right, you right. know, so... Playing that stuff live is that? I mean, how's that done live? You just do that well, I actually sample. play everything note for note. Um, all all the stuff is um, we we swap out the uh, the um, electric. You right. know, I, I pull up a kick and snare. You know, we take out the acoustics and bring it up. And um, um, my uh, drum tech, we have three Pro Tool systems running behind us. So he has a program. So when I'm playing the snare, it hits. You know, it changes as the song goes by. So the verse changes into the chorus, and I don't. I just have to hit the one. Oh, cool, so, cool. Um, and that stuff I have a click track to the other corner stuff bends and pushes right. and pulls you know so. talk a little bit about uh, last month at the Carolina Rebellion Festival yeah made an appearance what happens no. <laughs> how, how'd that come about was that something that was planned or was to that to be honest he um, uh, he was sitting in with a band called Red yeah. as Christian act and um, they're really good they were on the side stage and they just they really good I was surprised but um, it that, that's how it started it just happened it, he was going to sit in with them and then it was like, um, Fieldy's like, hey, come on our bus and check out these tunes I'm writing with his side band, you know. And Hedden started writing a little bit with Fieldy. I'm like, that's exciting, you know. But him and James hadn't spoke for about, you know, God, maybe seven years. Right. And um, so it was great. Dave, there was an icebreaker. He came on our bus and him and James spoke for an hour, broke the ice. They started, you know, thought they were either going to come out tumbling off out of there or going to come out with their arms around each other. And right. They were laughing and uh, it was really good to break that ice. And now all of, everyone's t- speaking and yeah. It's just, you know, baby steps. It's not, you know, it was great to, he wasn't supposed to get up on stage that night, and we ended up doing it, and uh, it just... Yeah, the fans were really excited. They freaked out, <laughs> and it was, it was awesome to have that, you know, that just that relief, you know, so, um, yeah, here we go. Who knows? I mean, there's right. no crystal ball in the future, but at least that right, right. ice has been broken. It's, you know, it's, uh, that was a great night in history for, right. for sure, you know. Right, Now, you joined the band in 2007? 2007, October, yeah. Right, right. Um, what was it like coming in and filling in for those, you know, big shoes? At the time, I just got hired as a touring, you know, right. drummer, which I was quite happy with. Um, I just got out of the band Army of Anyone with uh, Robin Dean from STP mm-hmm. and, and Richard from Filter. And uh, I was a big fan of that band. I sunk everything I had into that band, you know, and I was with David Lee Roth before that for eight years. And it's kind of cool to be in the national scene, you right. know. Um, but uh, our management from Army of Anyone managed Corn, and they said, um, hey, they're having drummer troubles. You know, they had Joey from Slipknot filling in. They had Bozio and Brooks Wackerman, and Mike Borden, and everybody, and they're like, they went looking for someone more permanent. So I just did the tour, and a couple years later, I ended up being a, a member. And, cool. and uh, yeah, it's awesome. It'll be, I can't believe it's going to be five years. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, been for five years. Corn's been around for 20. 19, yeah, it's crazy. Very, yeah, they're a very influential band. Too. Mm-hmm. I know, like, you know, I grew up with 
run up around Pittsburgh, listening to all the bands coming out here on Australia. Yeah. I knew when, I, when the first time I heard that riff of Blind back in 94, I just knew they were going to mess everybody up in a good way. Because right. it was like no one sounded like that. And it was so raw and the energy was just so like, what, you know? Right. So, yeah. um, Now, you are from Pittsburgh. Yep. Um, what was it like, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, the music scene there, and then transitioning out to L.A.? Well, we grew up on a giant farm in West <laughs> Newton. So, what, one 818-acre farm. So, there really was no scene. I didn't know. I never really hung in the city much. You right. know, we'd come down to see concerts, you know, and... I remember my dad having to stand next to a door because I wasn't old enough to play clubs. I was playing clubs at a pretty young age, you know, and growing up doing all the high school symphonic marching, you name right. it. I did all that stuff, and uh, and uh, it was just, you just knew what what was on the radio or what my sister had. She had Ozzy and Kiss and Zeppelin records, and I'd steal them and play to them, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, it was just a way to, you know... Um, what you'd see was popular on the album cover. You know, no one really told me what to listen to. You know, right. my uncle would would tell me, "Hey, check this band out. Or check out Deep Purple," and I'd become a fan of them. But but Kiss was a huge influence because they were on a cover of every magazine, and, right. and I mean, I just play along with albums, stacks of records, and Rush, and you name it. You know, very cool. Um, and then you moved out to LA right after high school. Yeah, the guitar player was from Mount Pleasant, actually, in my local band here. Okay, and uh, we had a band together, and he's like. Paul Gilbert, you know, was from yeah. Greensburg, and Richie Cotson from Philly, and Poison and Rat. A lot of bands came out of yeah. Pennsylvania, and he's like, "Man, we got to get out of here. We got to. If we're going to do this right, we have to go out where we're going to get seen and noticed." And, and at the time, I was like, "I'm not. I didn't graduate high school yet, you know." So he waited. He graduated a year before me. Waited two months, and then I went out with him. And uh, my parents, we loaded up the Dodge Maxi wagon van we had <laughs> from the church, and. And uh, we made kind of like a mini vacation out of it, you know, did the whole 2,600 miles, stopping in Vegas, stopping in Texas, you know, Grand Canyon and all that, um, breaking down several times on the way out. (laughs) You You played with uh, Darren Householder, too. Mm -hmm. He's also from... Zealine Zealine Opal. Crazy, huh? Actually, that's where I grew up out. Really? Out in uh, Mars. Nice. Nice. Um, So, yeah, did you meet him out here? Uh, No, I met him in L.A. LA. Ironically enough, we we grew up that close to each other, you know, so... He was signed to Shrapnel Records, which my first band was signed to, mm-hmm. uh, 9.0. And the president called me up and he's like, hey, there's this guy from Pennsylvania. I'm like, where? You know, and he's like, Zealine Nope. I'm like, what a funny coincidence. And he goes, he wants you to play on his record. And we started jamming and we hit it off musically and as buds. And right. I did three of his records. We actually had original band through the mid-90s for a while. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm still, still friends with him today. Cool. cool. Um, then you played with David Roth. Well, yeah, first I had the Jakey Lee gig, the Ozzy Osbourne right, yeah, uh, guitar player. That was my first official tour on a bus, you know, okay. slaving it out and, and playing 22 days in a row with no breaks. And, you know, it was awesome because I was a huge Ozzy fan, a Badlands fan, you know. Right, right. And uh, so Jake, to me, is still one of the best guitar players on the planet, you know. Um, so that was my first, first official tour. And in between that, I was teaching drum lessons and right. playing cover bands, you name it, just trying to make phone bills, you know. And then um, I did a lot of sessions in L.A., country records to movie soundtracks to you name it and, and uh, my buddy says hey I'm working with David Lee Roth I'm like yeah whatever he's like no I'm working with Diamond Dave like he he heard I did two songs on his solo record his name was Mike Hartman and Dave liked the songs that I played on on that record and said would you want to come down and recut them and that's what happened I came down and met him thought I was just getting hired for the session the manager called me the next day and says hey you passed with Flying Colors that was your audition like, oh, wow. so that lasts for a little over eight years yeah he always seemed like a storyteller to me like, like that. <laughs> no one tells a story like Diamond Dave that's for sure he's an awesome guy I love him to death he's a bipolar maniac but he's uh, <laughs> I, you know 
he's he's very eccentric, and I think you have to be to change rock history like that. You can't be normal and go out there and you know what I'm saying. Right, like right. And they're still out there touring. It's amazing. You yes. know, it's like I learned a lot. I call it the school of Roth. It was like learning a lot of lessons on that. Like you can't teach that at any school. You can't. You know what I mean? Being right. out on the road with that guy is <laughs> it's I different. Imagine. What's coming up in the pipe for corn? We're starting to already talk about writing, you know. John's always writing on his bus, and we always have ideas flowing. But um, we're already talking about getting there and starting to buckle down and and cut some more stuff. So hopefully by the end of the year we'll have something solid. And uh, besides the August tour coming up, there's talk talk of a fall tour. And so um, we just keep going. You know, if any of your people on the site want to check out corn.com we're always giving away like today i'm teaching a drum lesson you know and cool. someone gets if it pay for the vip package you get to play video games on john's bus you know? and, <laughs> and, and it's so it's, it's we kind of do cool fun things on corn.com and, and if anyone wants any more information on me go to radiosier.com you, know? you guys get to interact with the fans a lot or is it you know i mean yeah they're very die hard i mean right. this girl yesterday in connecticut it was her 37th corn show I mean, wow, she flies to other states. I mean, they're they're really in it, man. It's crazy. Like, not a lot of bands can go to India and South America yeah. and South Africa and, and sell out places. And it's it's pretty cool to, you know, it is. Like some bands are only big in Europe, only big in the right. states, you know. But uh, it's kind of wacky to be a part of something that has such a worldwide fan base, you know. And exactly. uh, no matter what language we're in, they're screaming John's words. It's crazy, right? right? So. Powerful, you know. Music's oh, yeah. very more powerful than people think it is, you know. It's, you know. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, man, you and, got. Uh, we appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, you're off the corn in the future. Absolutely. Stay tuned. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The biggest bands in rock, the wildest stage shows on earth, the biggest live event of the summer. Kiss and Motley Crue. The Tour 2012. September 2nd at First Niagara Pavilion. Tickets are on sale now. Buy tickets at LiveNation.com. All Ticketmaster outlets are charged by phone. The world's biggest heavy metal touring music festival is back. The Rockstar Energy Drink Mayhem Festival. Featuring Slipknot. Slayer. Motorhead, Anthrax, and more. Saturday, July 28th, First Niagara Pavilion. Tickets are on sale now. Buy tickets at LiveNation.com. Presented by the X at 105.9. All info at RockstarMayhemFest.com. All right, a big thanks to Ray Lazier and also for, uh, Sean for doing the interview and uh, Stage AE for their hospitality. Again, if you go to IronCityRocks.com, you can check out photos of corn and uh ray in particular uh we have a lot of good pics that sean got while he was there also when you're at ironcityrocks.com there's information on how you can enter to win a pair of tickets to see Def Leppard poison and lita ford at the first niagara pavilion on august 14th what you need to do do a youtube video of yourself and friends or yourself solo singing a song from Def Leppard poison or lita ford don't care if you do it a cappella. Don't care if you do it with a karaoke track, your own guitar, however you want. Just give us 30 to 60 seconds of your voice. Uh, that'll enter you to win. Also, if you go to facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, click on the win button. You can enter to win a pair of tickets to see Chicago and the Doobie Brothers. Also, it's First Niagara Pavilion on August 2nd. Uh, so a lot of great stuff. Obviously, there's a trillion concerts coming to Pittsburgh, as there is every summer. 
So you go to the concert page on ironcityrocks.com. You can check out all of that information as well. Also, one last thing, I invite you to check out castironring.com, which is a network that Iron City Rocks participates in. It's a great collection of hard rock, metal, and music-related podcasts uh, featuring the Skull Sessions, uh, Shockwaves, Hard Radio, uh, Focused Metal, Radioactive Metal, The Bone Hand Heavy Half Hour, Mars Attacks, Signal to Noise. Uh, and I don't think I'm missing anybody there, but there's a lot of great stuff. Um, obviously, summer is a bit of a slow time, I think, for everyone podcasting. This is only our second podcast in the month of June. Uh, we're usually pretty good about kicking them out monthly, but uh, people get a little busy this time of year. But I will assure you that we are gathering a boatload of interviews and things in the background that we'll be unleashing on you soon. So we invite you to check us out. Subscribe on iTunes. Uh, if you have any feedback, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time.